creates his own offensive chance with that motor. Krejci to Coyle! And the Leafs are moved again! Hello, welcome to Nesson Bruins Podcast. I'm Nesson.com's Mike Cole, joined as always by Nesson.com's Logan Mullen, who is in his uh, his uh, quarantine bunker in the woods, uh, a la, I don't know, somebody... Tim Thomas? Is yeah, that- maybe Tim Thomas. You know, I, I'm i not going to make light of that. You know, that I was told that joke flopped. Uh, it was a good I, joke. It was a good joke. Well, but, uh, you know me. I'm sensitive. So it, I'm it not going to again. Play better the first time before you messed up uh, we'll, our entire project we'll here. Say, so. We'll say it was a sign from God that my microphone sounded crunchy the first time around. Fair enough. So, uh, yeah, we're back. Uh, we're here to talk about the Bruins, or at least uh, to the extent which we can talk about the Bruins. Not a whole lot going on. Um, uh, we are in a holding pattern here with uh, the NHL season being paused. Uh, we're just kind of waiting for more information, uh, and it doesn't sound like there's going to be a lot of positive information, at least not in the near term. And that's to be expected. I mean, I think even now we're seeing here in America where we're about to enter the real the real suck, which is not to minimize everything else that's gone on, but it feels like it's going to be a pretty tough couple of weeks. So hockey is kind of uh, on the very uh, far back burner for a lot of people. But uh, the update uh, recently was, uh, do you have the date off the top of your head? Is it the middle of, we're into mid-April in terms of the quarantine period for the NHL. They told teams to continue to self-quarantine through the middle of April, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, April 15th. Right, uh, so April 15th is the date, and it very well could end up being longer too. I would sure. be very surprised if it was not longer than April 15th. Yeah, and I think as we're starting to, I mean, yeah, it, people were criticized. What's that? That's two weeks from today. We're recording this on Wednesday the first. I don't right. See, think, see, I do not see things making such a dramatic turnaround the next two weeks that we're bringing guys back to their respective cities. No, and I think things might have even been complicated a little bit more uh, on Monday or Tuesday. What's today? Wednesday? It is Wednesday. So on Tuesday, uh, Toronto announced uh, that they are not allowing um, anything to happen through June or into June. They said that that's, uh, you know, that doesn't include sports, but I think it's an interesting or it's an important uh, thing to note that that's, that's just going to complicate things. So we're kind of looking – we're in the long long game here. I think if there is going to be hockey again at some point this season, it probably won't restart until what looks a lot more like summer than spring. Yeah, and my my take, and I'm sticking to it, is I think hard cutoff no matter what would be June 1st. If there's not some sort of direction by June 1st, I would be very surprised if there was any type of tournament or conclusion to the current season. I – I understand why Toronto extended it all the way out to June 30th. Like you said, it yeah. does exclude professional sports and they always could amend it. If right. it's changed for the better. Um, but it's, I would say June 1st, that's where I've stuck is if we don't have this thing turn around in two months, because obviously there's the health concerns and all of that, that is just understood. But at the same time, once you start, like it's it's not like you can just say all right we're good to go we're back playing like there's gonna have to be a ramp up period guys aren't gonna be able to say okay you're reporting on the first of june and your next game's gonna be june 3rd or something like that so after a while just the logistics of it no longer become feasible especially if they don't want to compromise the 2020 2021 season which i don't get the impression they do yeah i agree 
Uh, and I think that's a smart play at this point too. There's no, I mean, everybody's going to be, you know, taking a haircut here, which is probably a bad uh, analogy to use considering none of us can get our haircut right now, but uh, you're going to lose money no matter what. And I think at a certain point, it's like, I, I understand where everybody's coming from with this and trying to make the most amount of money or try to lose the least amount of money. Uh, but I do think that at a certain point, it's like, well, are we really going to play hockey into you know August uh, and then still have a full season next year? You know, it's just – somebody's got to make a decision at some point, and I don't think anybody wants to be the first one to make that decision. I also don't think there's a point for any of these leagues to make a decision right now. I've seen a lot of people calling on uh, – this is one thing that's really annoying me is Twitter trolls calling on – uh, you know, leagues to just make a decision now. That makes no sense either. Uh, there's a lot of money here, a lot of money at stake for players, owners, uh, you know, fans, everything. You know, there's a lot at stake. So take your time. Get You know, you obviously don't want to rush back into it, but I also don't think you want to rush into a cancellation because, you know, we're – I don't want to sound too pie in the sky, but you're a couple, you know, big, you know, lucky breaks away from making some sort of progress here. I don't know. And, you know, maybe in the next month or so, they figure out something to make this a possibility, whether it's playing in a remote location. I don't know. There's a lot of different things that you can figure out in the next month or two before you really make that decision. But I'm with you. I think June 1st probably has to be some sort of cutoff date, maybe even before then to get it back up and ready by June 1st, where you're maybe you're restarting your training camp by June 1st. I don't know. So uh, I guess, you know, we can wrap this up with a – we can kind of touch on this every week if we want. Scale of 1 to 10, how confident are you that there will be hockey again this season with 10 being a certainty and 1 being no chance? A 4. I was going to say I'm at a 3. Um, so I don't think there's a lot of confidence there. It's a bummer. I think it's especially uh, unfortunate for, for the team that we, we uh, chat here most about, the Bruins, because, uh, you know, how good they were playing and you know, where they were in the – where they are in the standings and – the, the makeup of their roster. So, uh, you know, I hate to start the, the, uh, the podcast on such a, a down note, uh, but that's kind of just where we're at right now. It is uh, the unfortunate uh, circumstance. We haven't had any good news, like across the board. That's, I think, the most disheartening <laughs> thing for, you know, I don't want to make light of anything. I, I, I'm saying that in a somewhat joking manner, but like the worst part about this, other than obviously the death and everything, but like in terms of a mental standpoint, is like the uncertainty is just, it's the worst. Like we can't sit here and be like, well, uh, you know, Memorial day, we're all going to be done with this. So let's just yeah, get to Memorial that's, day. That's what I'm having a hard time. Right. With. Like if I'd be in a much better headspace, if I knew like, okay, I just have to, I guess, gut it out. Like that's a bad terminology, but like, right. just, you know, suck it up for another two months or whatever. But the unpredictability is, you know, the real killer or pain in the keister of all of this. Um, but again, well, we're healthy, right? Yeah, so, right. Who are we to bitch about it? But right. So until then, we'll kind of operate uh, until we hear otherwise. We'll operate as a, as if there's a chance, albeit however slight, we might see it uh, that there will be a return. But until then, we kind of have to find ways to, to fill fill airtime and and chat about the Bruins every week. So I think uh, we got a little we got lucky this week. There is some news, uh, if you want to call it news. Uh, stemming from the goaltending situation. I guess we can just use this week as, a, as an opportunity to kind of discuss the state of the Bruins goaltending situation. Currently moving forward in the, you know, the near future, maybe even long-term future. But uh, we'll start with, I just have to pull it up here real quick. Uh, Tuka Rask made some news this week uh, talking to the Globe. I, it, it sounds like it, Tuka kind of explained this away eventually saying he was basically in a rush to get out of 
the dress. I didn't really get that. I didn't understand yeah. that as some sort of like, I, I, I would assume, you know, Matt Porter's a responsible reporter. Like I, right. I wouldn't get the impression it, it was like there was some sort of, you know, hint that it might've been off the record or something like that. Like not to, I'm not trying to gaslight Tuca, but if yeah. you're going to talk to a guy, talk to him and know that's going to be on the record. His initial like rebuttal, I guess, to that was a little shocking to me. So Tuca says, Tuca talks to, to the Globes, Matt Porter, and says he has one – I have one year left in my contract, so we'll see if I even play. I think the insinuation is after the contract is over. Uh, and then he admitted that retirement is, quote, always a possibility. Uh, and then was it a week later? Is earlier this week. Uh, he goes on WEI's Greg Hill show. He says, quote, I haven't made any decisions on any direction yet. Obviously, we're not even playing hockey right now, so that'll be in the future. But it's definitely not on my mind right now. I went on to say, I'm only 34, so it's not too old. Might play another year or two and go from there. So I do think Tuca basically starts that quote by saying it was a throwaway comment, uh, you know, talking to – He confirms it. Right. And then at the end he says, I, I might play two, a year or two and go from there. So uh, I think it's realistic to kind of kick around the idea that we might be nearing the end of Tuca Rask's road here. And he is – uh, let's see, what is he, 33? He's 33, just turned he's 33. Just turned 33. Yeah. So, you know, he's getting up there in age. I guess goalies and hockey players in general can play late in their 30s. But this is a guy who's made $60 million. Uh, he's, you know, experienced various levels of success. And he does, in my limited amounts of uh, – limited dealings with him uh, and just with what you read and what you hear from him, uh, he's a guy who has a lot of interest outside of hockey. He's a guy who doesn't seem like hockey is – the one thing that he's thinking about as soon as he wakes up and right before he goes to bed. So I'm not entirely surprised by any of this. Uh, and I think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's almost commendable for him to be so forthright with his future. I'm sure the Bruins appreciate it as well. Sure. And this is purely conjecture, but kind of to your point, I don't think we're going to be seeing a whole lot of Tuka Rask once he retires. And yeah. hey, that's his prerogative. Go for it. He's been, I mean, Jesus in the spotlight for the last decade. Like I'd want to get away too. But I think he's just keeping his options open. Like, yeah. he, And remember, when all this stuff started happening, I thought back to when he was at the Winter Classic last year, and he did that off of that walk-off interview with uh, Pierre Maguire and said that he was like, oh, this might be my last one. Next time I'll probably be up, like, drinking a beer or whatever. And everybody flipped out about it. And when you think about it in the broad scheme of things, unless you play for the Chicago Blackhawks, right. there's no guarantee you'll be back at the – a winter classic. I really think he's just a practical person. Exactly. Like, not, I, I don't think he's trying to take the Tom Brady of, approach of being like, oh, finally I can kind of carve my own future. I just think he's like, I, and again, let's not forget that Tukarask has a history of head injuries. Like, you know, he probably doesn't want to keep messing around with that. And if he doesn't need to keep playing and he feels like there are other interests, why would he not? And I know we're speculating about a guy's future that, you know, we're not inside his head, but just, you know, judging by what we know about him and how he operates and just kind of his general disposition, it doesn't seem like he's trying to be coy or weird or deliberately deceptive. I think he's literally just keeping his options open. And he also said in that interview uh, with Matt Porter that when he's done, he's not going to go back to Finland and play for a couple more years in Finland. Like when he's done, he's done. And so I don't know. I mean, he, 
assuming he keeps up even remotely the level that he's playing at now, if he decides he wants to keep playing, whether it's in Boston or elsewhere, when his next contract's up, he can get a multi-year deal that's still going to be pretty good money. It's not going to be whatever his, his $7 million annual value is or however much it is, but he'll get a pretty decent deal if he wants to play into his late 30s. Yeah, and, you know, one thing I did want – uh, when I was covering the Bruins for two seasons, so this was now, it was the 13 season, the coming out of the lockout, and the 13-14 season after that, I was always struck by how honest, and I mean, you see this too if you just watch the postgame show or read the newspaper, how honest Tuca is with everything. I think this is just another case of that. It's like, it almost gets him in trouble sometimes where he's, he'll just say the first thing on his mind, and he kind of gets away with it for, you know, he just must be that like that. He'll he'll put guys on blast, like maybe not even directly, but he's like, you know, what do you want from me? There's uh, nobody cleaned up the rebound. I give him a goal. Like he's, he just says whatever's on his mind at that point. He's a straight shooter. Uh, he's not one of these guys, I think, who crafts out what he wants to say. So I do think that he's kind of just like, yeah, if two years comes up, I'm sitting on $65 million, uh, you know, not a whole lot left to prove, you know, and, you know, I feel the tug of home, you know, a little stronger than I did earlier in the career. Yeah, then I'll, I'll go do that. Now, you know, I think he's a guy who would be very much at peace with other, with whatever decision he comes to. Yeah, um, well, and real quick, I mean, you and I have talked about this before, but he's a pretty easy guy to take seriously too because yeah. – and to trust at his word because he will be candid about – and this is based largely off of comments about his on-ice performance, but he – will be very forthright and very honest and candid. So it's like whether he's being critical of himself or he actually thinks he did something well, you can typically trust him because he's not typically a guy to BS you. Yeah, and I do think, too, he's another kind of guy where you, know, you talk about Brady earlier. I do think there are similarities, similarities here where it's uh, – actually, Brady said this on a WEI morning show as well a few years back. He says, when I suck, I'll retire. And I think if Tuca thinks his game is slipping at all, that's when he probably maybe walks away. I don't think he's at that point yet, though. I think that's very clear. He's coming off of what would have been, a, uh, you know, he would have won the Conn Smythe had they won game seven of the Stanley Cup last year. He's having a tremendous season this year. We had him as our one or, you know, number one or number two candidate to win the Vezina this year uh, in our award show last week. So he's still playing very well. Uh, and I still, you know, if you're from the other side of this, if you're looking for reasons for him to come back, I mean, his name is on the cup, but it's not as a starter. I think that right. I, I wonder, that's the big thing. It's like, how much is he driven by that? How much is he driven by being the goalie who leads a team to a Stanley Cup, especially given some of his shortfalls and big situations? If that's something that motivates him, then maybe we'll see him stick around for a little while longer. And I also wonder how, you know, something like this maybe affects his mindset, where yeah. if this season gets called early, it's like, maybe it's just not that. I don't know. It's just, it's interesting to, there's going to be a whole lot of you know repercussions from what you know what this season and ultimately ends up as. So uh, I think he's going to kind of have to make those decisions. But I do think the the allure of winning the cup, if that's a driving factor for him, I think that kind of keeps him uh, in in the loop probably past his contract. But again, who knows with him? Yeah, and the goalie market's in such an interesting place right now too, where you know teams are splitting time with guys more and more often, so you can get a good deal even if you're playing 40 to 45 right. games in a season. So it's not like, you know, if he were to ever leave the Bruins, I don't know if that's something he would even have interest in or if he's just like, this is where my life is now. But, I mean, he could go and get a pretty nice deal somewhere where he thinks he can contend and actually get a cup 
himself and lead the charge. And that very well might be Boston and probably yeah. will be Boston um, in terms of goaltending needs. But he's, I don't know. I, I just don't get the impression he feels compelled to keep playing if he doesn't want to. And, and I genuinely believe he does not know what he wants to do. I agree. I agree. Yeah. And I think it's, he's an interesting case too, because you want to talk historically, it's like, you know, Hall of Fame candidacy is still there for him to, to kind of go and get. I mean, he goes out and wins a cup at some point here in the next two, three years. He walks away as the best goalie in Bruins history. Like, yeah, that's still, still all on the table. I mean, he probably does anyway, but, like, it's just – it's wild. It's going to be a very fascinating thing to kind of watch moving forward because he's got so much at stake and there's so many balls in the air for him. But at the same time, he's a guy who doesn't seem to care about the things that the rest of us care about. So – uh, you know, it's just – it's hard to kind of pinpoint. But he's still, you know, playing out of his mind. Like, he's just as good as it gets. And, you know, I think he's – he's earned the right to make that decision for sure. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right. So, I guess, you know, where – I'm trying to just project this moving forward. I would imagine he – so, he's going to be the goalie this year, obviously. Going to be the goalie next year. Down the line, feels like even if he walks away, the Bruins are in a pretty good position. Yeah, well, this is, you know, I think they are, but it's also a pretty uncertain time, right? And I, that's why I would have the suspicion that Don Sweeney, sooner rather than later, is either going to or going to need to approach Tugarask about what his yeah. step is. Because they basically have, you know, Yarrow Halak's going to be an unrestricted free agent after this season. Rask will be an unrestricted free agent after next season. Dan Vladar, who's the most NHL-ready goalie prospect that they have, is an RFA this summer. And Max Legasse, the veteran, he's late 20s goalie that they signed to a two-way deal and has also been playing very well in the minors, uh, is an unrestricted free agent, I believe, after this season. After that, you have Jeremy Swayman, just signed his ELC, and Kyle Kaiser, who just finished his first professional season, didn't go very well, filled with injuries. The overarching point here is that goaltending prospects are pretty fickle, right? Like, we thought Malcolm Subban was going to be the next great thing, and he's carved out a decent NHL role for himself, but he wasn't what we thought he was going to be, right? Well, sure. He wasn't what a first-round pick should have been. He was a late first-round pick. Right, and and that's the main thing here. It's like Malcolm Subban's career ceiling at this point is certainly not a primary starting goaltender. So I guess my point was in terms of assuming that they, you know, they keep those guys signed at least for the next two or three years and kind of keep this stable of young goalies intact, I think you're in a good spot where you don't have to, you know, overextend, whether it's through the draft, free agency, or trade to get a goalie. I think – especially as the, you know, how teams construct their rosters evolve and how they, you know, spend their money on goaltending. Uh, I think it's, it's good to have probably, you're probably better off at this point having a bunch of really good options than one very, very good option that costs you a lot of money. So I, I think they're well positioned to kind of build that out moving forward, at least uh, if they can continue to, to be a strong defensive minded team in front of whoever's playing goalie. Yeah. Well, and that's where, I will be curious to see what their approach is in the short term, at least, because they've kind of put themselves in a position pretty much the last 
three seasons now between the Anton Kudobin years and the Halak years where they like having a guy that they more or less can split Tuka Rask's playing time with. I have been under the mindset, the impression, whatever you want to call it, that that is going to have to be their plan at least through the rest of Tuka Rask's contract and possibly as long as he plays. Like, I think gone are the days of watching Tuka Rask play 65, 70 games course, yeah. in a season. So are you going to let – and this is thinking just short term. Are you going to let Halak walk and roll the dice with Dan Vladar, who was best goalie in the AHL this season, but an unproven NHL product, and all of a sudden, whoops, he can't hack it in the NHL, and you have to – and you basically left yourself up the creek because Tuka Rask has to become a workhorse again, and the play drops off. So – the prospects at this point, I, I think a lot of this hinges on what happens with the backup this year. Um, and that could impact, I mean, if this situation I just theorized with, you know, Vladar not working out as an NHL goalie, at least in the short term, ends up coming to fruition. I mean, that's going to impact Tuka Rask's play and potentially the type of contract he could get. But that's going way too far down the rabbit hole. Basically, I think they've put themselves in a position where they can't really gamble with a young goalie as long as Tuka Rask is there. Like, they have to have some sort of proven commodity there. Sure. Although, I, I, I'd probably gamble with a young goalie at this point, whether it's Vladar or whatever. And, but, again, it's impossible to say because this conversation would have made a lot more sense three months ago when we all thought – you know, the salary cap was going to go up. We all thought we were going to have 82 games sample size to right. make our decisions on. So now who knows how Yarrow Halak's free agency gets affected and who knows how the Bruins cap situation is affected going into next season because you are potentially missing out on all of these games and the, the cap, which we thought was going to go up maybe even substantially, could, you know, who knows where it's going to be at. And that's going to affect a lot of roster decisions. And I think, you know, that's – so it's kind of hard to – it's a bad way of leaving the, the discussion, but that's kind of just the reality of it right now too. That's why I think maybe Vladar makes more sense because it seems a little more certain. I don't know. I not have a choice. Yeah, but nothing's certain at this point either, so who knows? Right. Anyway, uh, three, four years from now, who do you think the Bruins' starting goalie is? Um, I'm, I'm throwing you an alley. You need to finish the oop. I think Jeremy Swayman, probably. Thank you. Yes, exactly. Which brings us to the next part of our podcast. Uh, you wrote a very long and very uh, interesting. I will give you credit. You should, have, you should have led with interesting. I know. I, I knew that was going to chap your ass. That's why I went with uh, long first. But uh, uh, you did write a, a very good profile of uh, Jeremy Swayman, who is so he's from Alaska, correct? Yep, from Maine. He went to UMaine. He went to UMaine. He's very good. He's good. Yeah, he's up for the Hobie Baker. He was uh, one of the 10 nominees. Uh, he was the Hockey's Player of the Year. He unquestioned first team uh, or a unanimous first team hockey uh, or all hockey's team selection. Uh, pretty, pretty sharp career at Maine. I mean, he was he just finished his junior season and was a three year starter and saw a fair amount of shots. He saw he got plenty of attention, got plenty of work um and handled it well and so now he signed his entry-level contract so basically they're going to have a pretty robust pipeline of goalies where 
it's more or less going to be Vladar, uh, Swayman, and Kyle Kaiser competing, yep. I guess, to be the backup. I mean, there's there's a chance Swayman and Kaiser are the goalies in Providence next year and Vladar is the backup. Um, so that makes I'm, sense. I like that. That seems like unless Halak's – who knows? Again, if the Bruins – if they return and the Bruins win a Stanley Cup, that changes everything too. Like, it's so impossible to say right now. Because, like, maybe if they go – maybe if they do come back, they play some sort of tournament somehow, the Bruins are awarded a Stanley Cup, win the Stanley Cup, then maybe that changes how you approach a lock. And it's, maybe it's easier to let them walk. But if you want to run this thing back one more year and a lock's market is affected by that, maybe you go that way. But uh, I think, you know – the the emergence of Swayman and the potential that he has is why I think I'm a little more optimistic than maybe you are about the future of the goaltending situation here, no, I, what they have in the cupboard right now. I would say long-term, I'm pretty optimistic about it. I'm just curious to see what they would do in the short term because they, if they're not careful, they right. put themselves in a pinch. Sure. And it, it's also a little interesting, weird, whatever you want to call it, because there are more and more young goalies getting legitimate run in the end like you look at carter hart right he's probably the best example and for the bruins like their goaltending prospects are still very much prospects and young guys what ours only 22 years old and then swayman and kaiser are both 21 like they don't need to rush if they don't have to um but at the same time it's like well or you know what happens if you bring back vladar and it's like well you're just gonna be mainly the ahl goaltender for the time being we still want to develop you and you know he plateaus or whatever it is like this is again forecasting things we can't control but like they've got time so I'd say even if I have a little bit of skepticism about the short term I think long term they're going to be fine you would think one of the three they're going to hit on I agree that's all it really takes is one right yeah Uh, your your comment about the young goalies made me look it up Connor Hellebuck Hellebuck He's 26 years old. Feels like he's been in the league yeah, for like he's been 15 for years now. Yeah. So uh, Bruins have to hope they have anything close to that in Swayman. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. Go read Logan's story about that. But if you don't want to read the story or if you want something else in addition to that story, uh, we will now play uh, Logan's interview with uh, with Swayman. And uh, it's it's good. So listen to that. Uh, Logan, do you have anything else to add uh, before we get into this? And uh, anything else to add on this week's episode? No. Most right. Cool. So go listen to that. Uh, that'll play right after we're done here. Uh, it's, uh, it's Logan's conversation with Bruins goalie prospect Jeremy Swayman, uh, who just signed his entry-level contract uh, after a, a pretty impressive run at the University of Maine. Uh, we will be back again next week to discuss God knows what about the Boston Bruins. Hopefully we're a little bit closer to some sort of return. Uh, but until then, uh, stay safe, uh, keep your hands clean, and stay apart from each other, please. Uh, we'll uh, talk to you again next week. See you. Obviously, a few different places we could start. It seems like it's been a pretty busy couple of weeks for you. Um, I'll start here. How chaotic, I guess, has the last couple of weeks been between signing your pro contract, being named as a finalist for the Hobie Baker, your uh, season gets suspended, school's done, or at least uh, online. Uh, What's the last couple of weeks been like? Yeah, I mean, pretty hard to put one thing on you know you can't really single anything out everything kind of happened uh you know back to back simultaneously so uh you know definitely a whirlwind experience um you know it's been tough but at the same time you know global health is important and we need to 
make sure we're doing everything to follow the guidelines because we want to get back to playing hockey as soon as we can. Mm-hmm. How disappointing was it that your hockey season kind of ended the way it did, even bearing in mind the global health impact? Yeah, I'd be doing anything I can right now to be playing, playing still. So it's a tough pill to swallow, but again, you know, nobody could have predicted it and everyone's kind of going through the same thing. So really just keeping, keeping my mindset in the moment and, and enjoying the day is, is what's going to get me through this. And I know at the end of the day, we're going to play hockey again, and that's what I'm looking forward to. Cool. Uh, now, in terms of your game itself, for anyone that hasn't seen you play before, how would you kind of describe your style of play? Maybe give a little bit of a scouting report on yourself. <laughs> yeah, I don't like to talk about myself too much, but I guess, uh, no, I take pride in my athleticism and my competitiveness. So I, I want to make sure that I'm doing everything I can to, to do my job and keep the puck out of the net for the guys in front of me to, to have confidence in their abilities as well. But I, uh, I take uh, a lot of pride in my skating abilities, making sure I'm staying on my feet, tracking pucks in and, and putting rebounds to, to safe areas. What, over the last three development camps that you went to with the Bruins, what was some of the feedback that you had gotten and how have you kind of applied that to your game going back to Maine? Yeah, it's uh, I'm pretty fortunate to be a part of such a great organization with the Bruins and being my third development camp last year, uh, every year has been such a great, great thing to take in and I go in as a sponge and soak up everything I can and I've been welcomed with open arms every year. Uh, by the prospects, the staff, and, and everyone involved. So hats off to them. Obviously an incredible organization with a great culture of winning, and I couldn't be more excited to, to finally be a part of them officially. Yeah. So what made you decide that this was the right time to go pro? Kind of how long had this decision been on your radar in terms of timing, and you know when did you finally sort of make that decision that, all right, this is the time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a tough decision to leave college early, especially uh, UMaine being such a great program to be a part of, and and we've had success there in my years. And I, uh, you know, it was definitely a tough decision to make. But I talked with you know my advisors and my mentors, and of course my coach, of course my coaches, and we all agreed that you know I did I did what I needed to do at, at UMaine, and I got the experience I needed, and uh, I have a, a mindset of a pro now, and. I couldn't be more excited to, to finally make it official, but again, uh, you know, I feel that I'm I'm completely ready to to face a pro pro mentality, and, and I couldn't be more excited about it. How do you typically spend your off seasons, and with not only the season ending a little bit quicker than many expected, but also the fact that you're turning pro, is that going to change at all? I always like to change it up. You know, I want to make sure that I'm doing everything I can to be on top of my game and whether that's changing my diet a little bit, making sure I'm doing different things to get my body in check. Uh, you know, obviously there's a, a longer season with pro more games. And so I really got to take care of my body, but I know I have a good formula. Uh, I know what my body needs in order to prepare for a season. And honestly, if that's stepping away from the rink and getting, getting into the mountains, which I love to do, I'm a big nature guy. Uh, that's what I do, and I look forward to that every year and making sure that I'm really resetting my mind and going into the season fully prepared. So I had talked to a couple of your coaches about your development over the last few years, and both of them had mentioned that a lot of it's been the mental area of your game, the confidence kind of growing in that area. How have you seen 
just through playing and the experience that you've gotten yourself sort of grow in that regard? And are there any other areas where you've kind of seen yourself really develop over the last few years? Well, a lot of that credit goes to my goalie coach, Alfie Michaud. Uh, he really took me under his wing and he, uh, he made a great guideline for what it's like and what it's meant to be to be a pro hockey player. And, and every year we worked on that and making sure that I'm staying in the moment, not making a game bigger than it really is and, and truly enjoying the sport, which it, which it is the greatest sport in the world, in my opinion. So that's uh, been pretty crucial for me. And I know this year alone, I've definitely seen big strides made uh, just enjoying the game and really having fun with it. And obviously that came with some success. So I was really happy with that. Those strides that you made this year, was that sort of just the path of you growing up or was that a certain, you know, jump that you made? What kind of sent you to that, what seems like the next level this year? Absolutely. Yeah, a lot of that doesn't happen without the experience that I had through junior hockey and obviously my freshman and sophomore year. You know, I had to make the mistakes I did in order to get to, to where I am now. And because of that, I feel that I'm I'm a lot better than I was, you know, three, three, four years ago. So that doesn't happen without the experiences that I had. And of course, goaltending, it takes a little while for, for goalies to mature, but I want to do it as fast as I can, but it's also as efficiently as I can to make sure that I'm ready for the next level. When you, when did you find out that you were up for the Hobie Baker and what was your initial thought and reaction to that? I think I found out uh, right when they announced it, I got a bunch of texts and saying congratulations and stuff. So that was a pretty, pretty cool experience. Um, you know, I don't like to look at awards as much, you know, as team success, because again, I mean, that doesn't happen without the team in front of me. And, uh, it is really humbling to be a part of such a prestigious group. You know, obviously the other nine players in that, in that list of all deserving of this award. So again, being in that conversation is a pretty special feeling. So you found out from other people. Yeah, it was other people. Uh, I think my coach texted me, and then uh, Twitter went off a little bit. So, yeah, it was pretty cool. <laughs> okay. Um, so, obviously, things change a little bit when you go from college into the pros, not just in terms of the game, but also the attention that's on you. And I think with the future of the Bruins goaltending situation being what it is, you know, a lot of people are going to look at you and Dan and Kyle and those guys as, you know, the future now. How have you kind of prepared yourself to be equipped to handle whatever pressure comes with playing in Boston, possibly playing in the NHL and everything that goes with that? Well, that's my ultimate dream since I was a kid. You know, I've always wanted to play in the NHL and I really don't want to let anything get in the way of that. And so that's, uh, that's just me and my competitive demeanor. But at the same time, I know that if I do my job, it's going to take me to where I want to be, which is at the pro level and playing for the Boston Bruins. Is there anyone you model your game after? I do. Uh, I have a lot of different goalies, but there's no particular one that I want to be just like. I like to soak up everything uh, as like a sponge. So growing up, I like to watch Braden Holtby a lot. Uh, his his athleticism, his ability to track the puck, and and now just in today's world, uh, you know the young goalies are coming out and and having success in the league. Like Carter Hart, I got to watch him at World Juniors one year, and obviously having seen him playing for the Flyers now he's had good success and then the Jordan Bennington who came into the league uh you know he's had good success as well and really uh, I really keep an open mind on those things and and uh you know want to model my game after the best 
All right, last one, and this has pretty much nothing to do with hockey. Was there any benefit to uh, kind of getting the lay of the land up in Maine and up in New England before you potentially reside here? Yeah, absolutely. Well, what's funny is the way I got to Maine was the recruiting process, and the coaches must have heard somewhere that I was a big nature guy and that I loved the outdoors. And our first conversation had nothing to do with hockey. It was all about how that we had that Maine had, you know, great trails and good fishing and good mountains. And so that was a pretty big separation factor for me. And I knew right away that I was uh, going to love Maine. And so getting the lay of the land up in Maine and, and New England area was perfect in my opinion. You know, I, I definitely feel at home there uh, just growing up in Alaska and having, having the space that Maine does and, and now traveling all around playing New Hampshire, Vermont, Boston colleges, different Boston schools uh, is pretty cool. So I'm definitely uh, familiar with the land there, and I love it. Do you have any favorite trails in Maine or New, Eng- New England yet? <laughs> well, yeah, I did uh, Katahdin with my dad my freshman okay. summer, and that's a that's a butt kicker. Yeah, I was pretty impressed. I thought you know Alaska had it all, but Maine definitely uh, packed a punch with Katahdin. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, I appreciate it, Jeremy. Thanks for taking a few minutes. Uh, Good luck with your homework and the rest of the semester, and then we'll uh, see you up here in due course. Awesome. Sounds great. Thank you. Yep. Take care, man. All right. You too.